All right, so let me pray for our giving and our service today. So Lord, we thank you, um, Lord, that we are here today, Lord Jesus, again, just to put our eyes and our focus on you. God, we thank you that we get to be part of the mission. God, you not only saved us, God, you said, come and join me in the mission. Come, you, you, you left the great commission into our hands, Lord Jesus. And Lord, you're using each one of your body, Lord Jesus, to be, Lord Jesus, to use our time, our talents, and our treasures, Lord Jesus, to reach those that are far from you, to disciple those, Lord, that have come to know you. And God, we thank you for the provisions of this church that have been able to be part of that. Lord, we celebrate again 16 baptisms, Lord Jesus, last weekend, and what you're doing in people's lives and families' lives and transformation that's happening. And Lord, we get to be part of it because you're doing it, and, and it's just so exciting. So God, I just ask for your blessing on everyone that gives regularly, Lord Jesus. Lord, as those that are trusting in the area of finances, Lord Jesus, just continue just to pour out your blessing and provision. Lord, those that are looking for new jobs, those that are are looking for new investments, Lord. I just pray that you would guide them, Lord, as they steward their money, Lord Jesus, first to you, Lord, that you would guide them in the area of their finances in wisdom and guidance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. All right, well, I'm just gonna jump right into our message today. We are, we have been uh, in this series called Good News because it is the good news of the gospel. We are slowly working our way through uh, Mark. Uh, we are still in Mark chapter 1, uh, picking up in verse 14 here today. And today we're looking at this, this thing about Jesus. It says, begins his ministry. We've been looking at the, the John the Baptist and Jesus getting baptized. Now Jesus is starting his ministry, and he starts it by simply saying, come and follow me. Right? So you can turn in your Bibles there to, to Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Book of, you know, the church starts in the book of Acts, but these are him calling the first Christians to come follow him. So Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 20 says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the beginning of the movement of Jesus. This is the beginning of this church Jesus movement, all about Jesus that's going to change the world because it starts with the ultimate person, the ultimate leader, Jesus. So I want us to look at, if you were to, if you're a businessman, if you're, you have an entrepreneurial spirit of like, you have a vision of something you want to do in your life, we're going to look at, these are going to apply to here. We're going to look at Jesus, the best leader, the best example of what do you need to change the world? What do you need to, to start something that can seem so, so simple at the beginning, but has such a great significance? Like, right, first you need you need the right vision. You need the right vision. You need to know where we're going, where we're heading, what, what are you doing. You need to have the right vision. So we're going to see that today. You need to have the right leader, 
right? Everything rises and falls on leadership. If you have the right leader, they will lead you in the right, right direction. If you have the wrong leader, you can get in all kind of messy situations, right? Number three, you need to gather the right people around you. So Jesus has the vision. Jesus is the right leader. And Jesus calls, we're going to see this today, people to come follow him just as he calls us today. The right people in the right place. So we see that Mark shows that Jesus has all of these things right at the beginning of his start of the ministry. How about this first verse like really throws you off like a little bit. It says, it says, after John was put in prison, so this is John the Baptist, who we've talked about for the last few weeks. John the Baptist, remember Jesus was baptized, then he goes into the wilderness, is tempted by the devil, and comes out victorious, does not fall for the temptation. And essentially he comes back, and Mark is saying, okay, like while Jesus was apparently like in the wilderness, things didn't go too good for John. Like he's continuing to preach, and in that time when Jesus comes back, his cousin John has been arrested for preaching the truth. And so it's doing two things here. Mark is doing two things. He's, he's making a transition of the, the geography of where they're at from the different places from Judah, Jerusalem to he switches to the area of Galilee that Jesus comes back from to Galilee. And he switches from looking at John's ministry to Jesus's ministry. So this is a transitional statement that, that Mark is writing out here. And so, but Jesus still is essentially even still preaching the same message of John. It says he's still preaching. John's, John has been arrested, but Jesus just carries on. He's like, we're still preaching. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And this is the first thing that we hear Jesus' words. We have been in this series for four weeks, and Jesus speaks for the first time, right? And now Jesus says, and what does he say? He comes out, and he's like preaching, repent and believe the gospel. And he says this. Here, starting with the right vision, right? He says this in verse 14. 15, he says, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the new news. So listen, I, so often we put Jesus into our categories of how we've heard him preached and what, what parts of Jesus' message that we like the most. And so like we, we all have these ideas. Like if I was to ask you, what did Jesus preach the most about? What did he preach the most about? Maybe if you grew up Baptist, you'd be like, he preached about the cross. He preached about the cross all the time. He preached about the cross. Well, I'm, I don't know. That's so true, okay? Or if you grew up in a, in a mainline denomination, like, he preached about grace and mercy and loving your neighbor and tolerance. Uh, no, he actually preached more about hell and money than, I don't think he ever actually used the word grace. We like the word grace. I don't know if it actually came out of just, and he never used the word tolerance. Um, all right, so like we get that kind of mixed up, and maybe you grew up like me in the charismatic Pentecostal church, like he preached about power and authority, and come on, get your tambourine, blow your shofar, get the waves, you know, like that's what he preached about. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like we have all these different things, and like so what did Jesus preach the most about? He preached about the kingdom of God. He preached about the kingdom of God. In fact, 127 times Jesus preaches of the kingdom of God. This is the huge mega theme of the gospel. This is like all the gospels pointing to it. It's in the Old Testament pointing to it from Genesis, Exodus, Isaiah, Amos, Malachi, right? The last one there, Malachi, right? <laughs> they all mention the kingdom of God coming, right? 
until we see all the way in Revelations where the kingdom of God has fully come in the place and Jesus is seated on his throne in power and authority. So the kingdom of God is what Jesus preached the most about. So what is the kingdom of God? What is it? Well, the standard definition of the kingdom of God is this right here. It's God's sovereign rule and reign made evident in the world around us. On the screen. God's sovereign rule and reign made evident in the world around us. It's God's kingdom breaking through. So when Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God, his rule and reign He's bringing it. It's becoming evident around him. When Jesus heals someone, the kingdom of God is breaking through and is becoming evident to this fallen, broken world because he's healing someone. When Jesus performs miracles, the kingdom of God is becoming evident. When a demon is cast out of someone, the kingdom of God is becoming evident through the work and ministry of Jesus Christ, right? When he does this, when he is, when he is loving and reaching out to the outcasts, to the orphan, to the widows, to the tax collectors, to the prostitutes, and he's showing them value and saying God still has plan and purpose for your life, he is bringing the kingdom of God. He is making the kingdom of God evident here and now. Jesus comes saying the kingdom of God is way off in the future, one day you'll get, no, the kingdom of God is at hand, is when Jesus said when he came. It has, he's like, this is the moment you've been waiting for. You guys all thought that was the greatest showman that made that phrase. No, it was Jesus that said, this is the moment you've been waiting for. This is what the prophets have been looking at. This is the anticipation. This has been looking, the, the kingdom of God is here and now working and moving. The problem is, we tend to be not now people. We tend to, we tend to be later. Right. We tend to be like, I'll fix that problem later. How many of us, like, you push off the, the things that you got to do around the house? The, oh, I'll do it another day. Oh, I'll, I'll deal with that issue later. I'll have that hard conversation later. I'll do that later. I'll worry about that later. And even how we approach the kingdom of God and heaven, okay, heaven is where it is fully experienced and all of that. And like we, we come sometimes too much approach, even the idea of the kingdom of God being at hand is that you give your life to Jesus and when you die, later on, you'll go to heaven. But the kingdom of God is meant to be at hand and to break forth here. The kingdom of God is here. So you don't, it's not just, it's not just, where you go when you stop living, it's meant to be broken into our lives. And we miss out so much on what God wants to do because we're thinking later. It'll be done. Now, there, there will be a day that it will come near and it will become fully evident for everyone. Now, it's breaking through in moments of becoming evident of the kingdom of God here on earth. There will be a day that it will be undeniably fully evident for everyone to see that the kingdom of God has come and Jesus is sitting on his throne, right? So that is the vision. That is the vision. Jesus has got the right vision. He's like, I'm coming to bring my father's kingdom here redeeming, restoring, healing, performing miracles to make the kingdom of God evident here and now, making a way for relationship with the Father. So he's got the right vision. He's got the kingdom of God vision. He's got the right vision. And you need, what the second thing, the second thing you need? You need the right leader. It starts with vision, right? But you need 
The kingdom needs a king. The kingdom needs someone to rule and reign over it. Who is that? That is Jesus. That is Jesus. Now, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is in charge. Have you guys ever noticed that Jesus is really bad at following you? <laughs> like, it's re- like, come on, Jesus, come. Hey, Jesus, you're not doing what I want you to do. You're not showing up how I want you to show up. Jesus is like, Jesus, you just don't do very good at following. No, he doesn't because he's the leader. And he turns and says, yeah, you're not very good at following either, right? Because you're supposed to be following him. Did you look through the Gospels. If you've read through the Gospels, do you ever see Jesus turning to, to Peter, turning to John and saying, hey, what do you guys think we should do next? Where, where should we go next? No, he's, he is leading and they are following where he is guiding them and directing them. So we're going to see here today that Jesus is this, this rabbi. He's this leader. And the guys that wrote the gospels, the guys that experienced it, they know something about Jesus that we seem to miss. Because when, when we struggle to follow him, this is myself too. When we struggle to fully follow Jesus and submit to him, it's not always just the pull of this world. It's not always just the desire for self and things that I want and desire. That's a part of it. But I would say a bigger part of it is it that we don't have the full clear vision of who Jesus is. Because if we get the full clear vision of who Jesus is, we're like happy to follow him. Clearly we're going to follow him. So really, I mean, we're only 20 verses into the book of Mark. And let me tell you what Mark has already said about Jesus. Mark chapter 1 said, Jesus is the Savior. The opening line of Mark is, Jesus is his name. Jesus literally means the one who is going to save. You have a problem. Your problem is sin. Your problem of sin is that it's separated from you, God, from God, and it eats you up, and it torments you, and it destroys destroys your life, and Jesus came as your Savior to help you take care of all that sin and shame and make a way to be with the Father. So right away, he's the Savior. Jesus is God, we're told in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. See that Jesus is, shares equality, nature, and existence with the almighty, all-powerful God, that he holds all things together, that he was there at creation, that Jesus and God, that the, 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 Jesus God of the universe came and entered into humanity. Still blows my mind all the time. And he suffered and died a death that we deserved so that through him we can have new life. So Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Mark 1 uh, verse 3. And again, a lot of people see Jesus as our Savior. Come save my sins. Come, come, come and clean me up. Come make a way to heaven. But is he the Lord of your life? Is he the one calling the shots? Is he the one who's in charge? And he's the one. When Jesus leads his disciples, when he speaks, people listen. Even today and now in the, in the heavenly realms, in the, in the, what do we see? We see the wind and the waves obey him. An, uh, angels obey him. Demons obey him. Jesus is Lord. He has authority. Jesus is powerful. Mark 1, 7, right? There's no, no one greater than Jesus, no one beside him. There's no one more stronger, more grander, more glorious, more powerful, more prominent. He is worthy of it all. He is powerful, right? He is anointed, the Holy Spirit, as we saw when he got baptized. He, the, he is the, 
The third person of the, of the Godhead comes and rests upon him, gives him the anointing of the Holy Spirit to drive out demons, to heal people, to set the captive free. He is completely, fully anointed. He is, again, the Son of God, right? Son of God. Martin. This is all like, in the first 20 verses, if you look at this, he's the Son of God. Same essence, same, same source, same, same stuff that God is made of, Jesus is made of. That he comes on this rescue mission from God, right? A rescue mission <laughs> to come and save us from our sins. He's a warrior. We don't see Jesus as a warrior. We see him as this timid person sometimes. What the heck? He is, he goes against his enemy. We already saw that he defeated darkness in the very beginning. The enemy comes to tempt him, to come to throw, and he defeats him in the first chapter. He's already like, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, and he has defeated him. He is our warring savior. Jesus is king, and he is coming to announce his kingdom. Mark 1.15, the time is now. The time is here. The kingdom has come. He is here. He is all reigning and ruling over this earth. Last one, Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the leader. He says, come and follow me. He's calling us to follow him and where he goes. So he has the right vision, the right leader, and now it comes to us, the right people the right people to fulfill the vision that God has. Back to this verse right here. It says, uh, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. That's a, another time, another version says immediately, immediately. Love, Mark loves that word, immediately. Without delay, they, they, without, immediately, they left their father in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now I've shared about this, this, this passage uh, maybe like three years ago, and I just felt like God brought me back to this, that I needed to share this with some of this understanding of these passages, because do you ever read this and it just seems odd? Again, the, the people in the Gospels, like, they're, they're seeing it from a different perspective, a different view. So I'm, I'm like, this guy just comes along, walking along the beach, and the movies don't help, do they? Right? The movies don't help. You got a guy with hair, blow-drying blow hair, looks like Fabio, walking down, a shiny robe, and has Miss America sash walking along. And he just seems to, like, these guys are working on their boats, making money, and he just seems to say follow me. And they're like in a trance of like, oh, I want to follow that guy. I don't know where he's going, but I'm going to go. Like, does it ever seem odd? Like when we just look at like, what in the world? Why, why would these guys walk away from everything they knew? At this time, Jesus has not had a huge crowd, not preaching to 5,000 people, hasn't multiplied the bread, hasn't performed miracles, hasn't turned the water into wine, hasn't cast out demons. This is just the guy walking down the beach. Does it ever seem odd? Right? Do we ever ask questions when we see the Bible? Like, like, okay, like, here we go. I'm just gonna leave everything that makes makes money. It's like, it, so here's Jesus beginning his ministry. And these verses show that these guys just leave everything. So I want to share just for a few moments a bit of context and understanding of the the Jewish world at this time and why they would do this. So this part of the message is brought to you from the History Channel, okay? But the Christian version. Um, <laughs> and we're going to look at this. So, so 
much like today in, in the Tri-Cities, education is a really big deal. You guys buy houses in certain school districts because the education is so important, right? Because you want your kids to have a good education. Back then, education was so important for kids. They wanted to give their kids this, this rich understanding. They knew that education could make a difference. And in the Jewish ed- education, in these times, like you, their kids learned in the synagogue, in the local churches, where they went to the school. The, the rabbi was like the teacher, and so there was three different levels of school. There was Bet Sefer, Bet Talmud, and Bet Midrash. Bet Sefer was that was called the, the house of the book. The house of the book. And this is where children would go from ages five to ten years old. And they were taught in the synagogue by the rabbi. And the goal was to create a hunger and passion for the text. A hunger and a passion and an understanding of the text and the Bible. In fact, the, the, the rabbi would often start by, by putting a slab of honey on their little, their, their little board that they would write on. And he would say to taste the honey. And he goes, I want you to say, because that's, like that's like a sweet, that's like a lollipop for them. And he says, may the words of God be sweet and taste to you sweeter than, this, than the sweetness and the taste of honey. And he wanted them to, like, to have from a young age of just this desire for the scriptures. And during this time, boys and girls in this society, in this time, would memorize the Torah. Memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorized by age 10. Wow. And we think, that, that, that sounds impossible. Imagine how their minds were not filled with it. How many of your kids can quote their movies? right? Can quote, can quote lines from Napoleon Dynamite, right? But like they, they focused on this. And, and, and so then when they finished around this time, a lot of them would, at, at 11, 12 years old would go back to their house and, and learn their apprentice. Some of the girls, as we know, Mary would, would be engaged to be married at such a time and start preparing a home and, and starting their apprenticeship. But the students that showed they had a gift for learning and even a deeper hunger for the scriptures, for the law, they would move to the next level. So this was for the, the best students would graduate to go to the next level. And that was Bet Bet-Tel- Talmud, the house of learning, going from Bet Sefer to Bet Talmud. And they continued in this age from 10 to 14 years old. And during this time, they would continue to study the scriptures, memorize the scriptures. And, and some of them would even, I mean, they memorized Psalms, the prophets. I mean, the rest of the Old Testament scriptures, some of them would have at least a good understanding and memorization of the entire Old Testament. And we're going, I haven't read it yet. It's so complex to read it. And then, and then the students would do this thing called Ramiz. Ramiz is when, when they would give a hint in Hebrew. And so the rabbi would, would read a, a passage of scripture, and the student would have to say the verse or the, the passage before it and after it. And that was a way of like questioning, seeing how much they actually really knew the scripture. These students lived in the text every single day. It was reading and just this living in the words of God. And then this is where they began to question. Remember we read about Jesus going to the temple and he was questioning and answering their questions, right? And so a lot of that, that, that see, our, our Western civilization is about information. I'm going to give you some info and I want you to spit the information back out to me. Get prepared for the test because like it's about answering the question. It's, it's transfer of information. For them, like, so it, it was different. Like here today we would say, hey, on a test we'd say, what, what's two plus two? Well, two plus two is, is four, right? That's what we'd spit out today. But a rabbi would say, what's two plus two? And the student would say, what's the square root of 16? You know, 
of just this deeper way of like, because the rabbi wanted to know that the student just didn't know the information, but he had heard it, he had understood it, and he was able to respond in a question. And again, this is where we find Jesus, that he, was, he astonished the rabbis and the teachers of the law when he was only 12 years old. Incredible. All right, so they would answer these questions. And then at the end of that, at the 13, 14 years old, there was Bit Midrash, the house of study. At the end of Bit Talmud, a Jewish boy who was 14 years old, the best of the best, other kids had already gone home, they finished this class, now the best of the best, he would present himself to a well-respected rabbi, a well-known rabbi. And he would come to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your Talmudim. I want to be your Talmudim. I want to be your student. I want to be in your, your house of study, your Bet Midrash. I want to be in the study. I want to learn this more. And you would follow the example of that rabbi. And the way that the rabbi interpreted scriptures, you would align with that. And you would, you would take that and, and, and listen to him. So the rabbi would interview these students at like 14 years old. And the rabbi would say something like, okay, well, help me understand. What's the meaning of the Sabbath? One student would say, well, the meaning of the Sabbath is to sit around, do nothing, and have a boring day. And he's like, no, that's, that's not it. And another student would probably ask passionately, but so the, the rabbi would answer back, no, you have, you have abolished Torah, meaning the student missed the mark, you missed the point, you missed the heart behind it. Another one would respond and say, to remember and reflect that we are no longer slaves, that we've been brought from a kingdom of darkness and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we take one day a week to remember that our lives are not just the worth of our work that we do, but we take a day to remember that everything we have comes from God. And the rabbi would say, you have fulfilled Torah. We'd ask them all kinds of questions and seeing if their, their understanding of the scripture, I was like this as a, he would maybe ask this question. Who was the man who lived the longest yet died before his father? Who was the man who lived the longest yet died before his father? Methuselah lived 969 years and he died before his father because his father was Enoch and never died and just was taken up to heaven. <laughs> so there's your Bible trivia. All right, so they would ask these questions, and then the student would, would, be, would be thinking and, 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 and wanting to follow this rabbi and be exactly like him, and, and he would teach them, and they would ask all these questions, and this rabbi would say, okay, come and follow me and take my yoke upon you. His yoke was interpretation, his understanding of the scripture and how he applied it. So you would actually come under that rabbi's teaching, that rabbi's yoke, his interpretation of these things. And he would say, come and follow me. And the boy would leave his family. He would leave his compound. He would leave his village. And he would, he would go and follow this rabbi wherever he went. And the point was to be exactly like the rabbi, to do and go wherever the rabbi went. And there was this saying that when a, cho- a student was chosen to follow a rabbi, they say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because remember, not paved streets. And they are following so closely behind to be like their rabbi that the dust kicked up is getting on their clothes because they're following so closely to be. This is not snowflake. Everyone's a snowflake individual. And your own person. No, this is you are to be exactly like him. And that was a great honor and great privilege and it was a celebration of someone, 
Other students that maybe didn't, they, the rabbi would quiz them and, and all of this stuff, and he would say, he would say to some, come and follow me. To others that didn't, that didn't have it, he would say, my son, you love Torah. You understand Torah. But you will not be my Talmudine. You will not be my student. Go home, learn the family business, apprentice, get married, have babies, and pray that they might become rabbis. That's how big and important this was. Now, you've got that background and this understanding. And Jesus, who was Jesus? Jesus was a rabbi. He is called a rabbi all throughout the Old Testament. 41 times he's called a teacher. Only one time is he called a carpenter. 13 times he's called a rabbi through the Gospels. So Jesus is a rabbi. And he comes walking along, and he says to these fishermen, why were they fishermen? Because they were not the best of the best. They had gone back to their father's business. They're fishing. They're all this. They're, they're doing their apprentice. And this, 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 this rabbi comes and says, they didn't, these guys didn't make the cut. They didn't make the upper class. And this rabbi comes and says, come and follow me. Jesus goes and collects the not good enough, the not the best of the best, the other ones that were, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Because Jesus is calling his disciples. And he thinks that these, and to, to call someone is to think that they can do what you do. Jesus calls these fishermen and says, I believe you can do and be and have the knowledge and understanding that I have. To fishermen. Because we read this and we go, okay, here's James and John and they're leaving their father Zebedee's and we're like, where's the next book where it shows that Zebedee went bankrupt because his sons left the business and he's angry and he's mad and like, get back here, you brats. Why aren't you coming back here and help me catch these fish? No, it's not like that. You can imagine Zebedee going home for dinner, his wife and saying, the boys aren't coming home. Boys aren't coming home. Yeah. Rabbi Yeshua came by and he called our sons to be his Talmudine. <laughs> and they would celebrate. I could imagine Zebedee walking through his village the next day with his chest kind of proud and walking around and going, my boys aren't fishermen anymore. They are following a rabbi. And the honor and the privilege of boys from a fisherman's village going to follow a rabbi. Jesus has the right vision. Jesus is the right leader. And Jesus calls the not good enough, the not the best of the best, to be the right people to, to his team to bring this thing forward. <laughs> Jesus accepts people. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't call people who he didn't believe have it in them to be able to do this. And I want us to see this for Christians, for believers, for those that have put your faith and trust in Jesus, for those that have got baptized this last week, that Jesus believes in you more than you believe in yourself. He believes that you can do this. He does not call us to do things that he does not believe we can do. We see this throughout. The, Jesus is, is, is having his disciples follow him. And what do they do? He, he goes and he teaches and he preaches and he shares parables. Then later on, they discuss it. And they're following him wherever he goes, and, and, and they're, they're watching him, and they're following him, and they're, okay, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We're watching you pray. How do we pray? And Jesus, and then, then what does he do? He sends them out. 
He sends them out to go do what he says. Matthew 10, we read about this. Jesus called the 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He's like, we're going to make the kingdom of God evident here on earth, and it's going to happen through you guys. You guys are going to go do this. So he sends them out to go do this, to go heal, to go cast out demons. And when they go out, they come back, and they, 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 they spend some more time. They, they reflect on it. This is what we learned. This is what we did. And after the resurrection, Jesus looks at his disciples living in this world But the kingdom of heaven has started to break through, and he says, you guys, go and take this. You guys go and do this. And he empowers us to go bring his kingdom here on earth. The right vision, the right leader, the right people. And you might feel like you don't measure up. You might feel like you're not good enough, but Jesus says you are good enough. You are hearing the words of God. You are here online today. You're here in person today. And God is saying, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And I guarantee you there is nothing greater than following Jesus. The world will try to tell you all these other things to follow after and to chase after. There is nothing greater than following Jesus and being a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing greater in your life than being obedient to the command to come and follow our king. It will stretch you. It will change you. It will do all kinds of things, but you will leave a legacy. You will have a greater identity. Your direction, your de- destiny will be changed when you start to follow him. So it's amazing. It's incredible when we get this picture. But here's the, the soul-crushing question. You knew it was coming. River City, even the last few weeks, like, oh, he's going to never just makes us feel good. Let's, let's, let's drive it home one more time. <laughs> Come to verse 18. And when Jesus calls them, he calls Simon, he calls Andrew, he comes James, he comes John. And what is their response? It says, Immediately. Immediately they followed him. We're going to see this over and over, Mark. Immediately, immediately, immediately they left their nets, left their nets and followed him. And when Jesus calls, do we follow immediately? Do we follow obediently? Do we follow with an urgency or do we make excuses? When he calls you, not just the first time to come follow, but when he calls you to come do something out of your comfort zone, out of something that you're not, I'm not too sure about that, God. And I'm wondering if 2,000 years later, we don't have that kind of response because we don't truly know who our rabbi is. We don't really truly know how great, how powerful, how mighty of what a king he is and has power and authority over this entire world. We, we, are, we, we are reluctant. We hold back from fully, immediately following him. And we allow the shame of our sin, the shame of our past, the shame of our, our, of our, of our shame and our sin and our separation to stop us from believing that our rabbi would call us to do something. But Jesus is so powerful, he wants to give you this new assurance that he believes in you. And when we see him for who he is, we will go immediately. 
God, of course, immediately I will follow. When we, we, it's not so much that, again, like the world is just all distractions and we don't always have the right view of Jesus. And when we get that full view of who Jesus is, if he is our king, if he is our great king and Lord and soon returning king, if the entire universe is in his hands, we should gladly, cheerfully, of course, drop our nets and immediately follow him. Because he would not call you to do something that he does not believe you can do. So let's stand in here and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you call people that the world has told them they are not good enough, they are not smart enough, they are not elegant enough, they are not good looking enough, they are not, they don't have enough influence, they don't have enough wealth. Lord, they're all kind of enemy lies, all the, li- the lies of the enemy that come against us and make us feel like we cannot do what you have called us to do. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would just obliterate, destroy those lies of people believing that they are not good enough to be called by you. Because Jesus, you are the Savior, the King, the most amazing rabbi who walked along a beach and called the not good enoughs to come and follow you. And you equipped them and you empowered them to go and start a movement that has changed the world over the last 2,000 years. So Lord, I pray right now for young people. I pray for married couples, for single people. Lord, for, for those that are in retirement age, Lord Jesus, that you are not done with us, Lord, that you have plans and purposes for us to do, and you have equipped us and placed us on earth for such a time as this, you knew the season, the time that we would be living and the nation that we'd be living in, Lord, so we can bring forth your kingdom of God and make it evident to those around us. And it turns around and brings glory to you. So Lord, empower your church, empower, change our our identity, Lord, to know that you have called us and that you are our good rabbi that leads us and we gladly choose to follow you. And Lord, I pray for those that, even as I say this, Lord, your, your Holy Spirit has quickened their hearts of what you have called them to do. The things that you're calling them out of their comfort zone. The thing that you're calling them to, 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 to make some risks, to make some faith steps. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower them to do so immediately. Not without excuses, that they would respond immediately to the call that you have for them. And Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.